You're listening to WALT. Homemade Radio. Hello, ghost family. Welcome to Family Ghosts. I think the thing that I love most about family stories is that on the surface, they seem like the most low-stakes, relatable type of story you can imagine. To use a family ghost example, one person steals another person's plate of Chinese food leftovers, the victim of the theft becomes obsessed with figuring out who did it, and ends up holding a family-wide court-martial to determine the culprit. It's fun, it's relatable, and it's just a plate of Chinese food leftovers, right? Well, no. Because like many family stories, that one starts out with something trivial, and before you know it, it has morphed into this decades-long saga of deception and betrayal that gets told and retold and actually becomes this kind of Rosetta Stone for understanding the real dynamics of this family and how those dynamics shaped each member of it. I'll give you another example from my own family. And this is a story that I have referenced before on Family Ghosts, but it's also a story that I didn't fully understand until recently when I was thinking about the intro for this episode. It's a story about the last time I saw my grandmother on my dad's side back in 2014. I had gone to visit her in the senior center where she was living, and I'd brought my tape recorder with me because there was this story that I had heard about just a few years earlier that was astonishing to me. It turns out I had this uncle I never knew about who had taken his own life when he was a teenager, and it rocked my world to find out that my grandmother, who I had never seen express anything, even resembling anger or sadness, had lived through something like that. I wanted to know what it had been like for her. And selfishly, I also wanted to know more about this uncle I had never gotten to meet. But that's a pretty heavy ask to lay on a 94-year-old person whose health is in decline. And so the whole time I was visiting her, I was agonizing internally about whether I was going to bring it up. And I kept not doing it and not doing it. And instead, we were talking about how much we both like vanilla ice cream And then, at one point in the middle of this conversation about dessert, she looks at me, and she goes, your dad tells me you like stories. And I go, uh, yes, I I do. And she says, well, I've got some stories I could tell you. And I have this moment of panic. Like, how did she know that I had this story I wanted to talk about? Did my dad say something? Is she about to tell me right now? Should I ask her to wait a second and pull out my tape recorder? That seems awkward. Do I reach for my phone and try to make a voice memo? That'll make her think I'm trying to make a phone call and she'll lose interest or be weirded out by that. And while I'm working myself up about this, she just goes right into the story, which is not the story of my uncle. It's the following. She says, When I was a little girl... My father used to tell me, now listen, Roberta, I'm going to leave this dime in the top drawer of the credenza. And if Mr. Fetterman comes by and knocks on the door while I'm out, you just reach into that drawer and you give him the dime, but you don't say anything. You don't ask him any questions. Do you understand? 
So my grandmother says, yes. And eventually Mr. Fetterman does come by, and she gives him the dime. And my grandmother finishes the story by saying, and what I later learned is that that's because Mr. Fetterman, and I'm pausing the way she did, was an alcoholic. And then she says, now that's a story, isn't it? Now, in addition to not wanting to freak my grandmother out by asking her a bunch of personal questions while her health was in decline, I also didn't want to give her notes. But in my head, I was thinking, no, Grandma, that is not a story. That is just a fact about Mr. Fetterman's life. Who is Mr. Fetterman? Looking back, though, I think in its way, this actually was a story and an important one. Because I think it was the story of why my grandmother never did tell me anything about my uncle who had taken his life. And why there is a tradition of not telling stories like that in my family. Because I think maybe the lesson my grandmother took from the situation with Mr. Fetterman and the dime is that there are some stories you're just not supposed to tell. Which, in turn, is probably a big part of how I ended up hosting a show like this one. From WALTFM and PRX, you're listening to Family Ghosts. I'm Sam Dingman. And this week, we're going to feature two stories from our Family Ghosts Live performance series, deceptively simple family stories. First, from Pat Regan. What's cool about my gay uncle is we're the only two gay people in my family. Um, So you'd think we'd be friends, but we're rivals. (laughs) Um... And then, from Gastor Almonte. Like, I'd be like, yo, yo, Grandpa, can we have peanut chews for dinner today? Why not, Gastor? How many firecrackers can I light at once? Let's find out. That's coming up right after the break. Our first story this week comes from Pat Regan, who is one of my favorite stand-up comedians and a writer on the HBO series Hacks, which just won the Emmy for Outstanding Comedy Series. But... I first discovered Pat's work on his podcast, Seek Treatment. And one of my favorite things Pat does on that podcast is tell these little stories about his family, which always struck me, at least, as a window into what I love so much about his comedy, which is often about the ridiculous lengths we push ourselves to just in the name of trying to fit in. So back in 2019 for a Family Ghosts live show, we invited Pat to come tell one of those family stories at the Bell House in Brooklyn. So basically what you need to know going in is that my family is very kind of competitive. Um, No one really has any sort of um, performing abilities, myself included. I always say that... um, I always say that it's kind of chic that I can't sing, dance, or act, but I still demand to make my living as a performer. Um, And so, but people like to perform and get attention. Everyone likes attention very much. And that uh, kind of comes to play often, um, for instance, in Christmas time. Yes, spoiler alert, we are, say it with me, Roman Catholic. (laughs) And... um, (laughs) 
I'm one of six kids, and um, my mom also is one of six kids, um, which is like, okay, inherited trauma. And um, she, all of her siblings had a lot of kids, except for her one brother, who is bravely a 60-year-old gay man. And um, what's cool about my gay uncle is we're the only two gay, gay people in my family. Um, so you'd think we'd be friends, but we're rivals. <laughs> um, he is like a church queen. He's addicted to Cathal. Um, can't get enough of this stuff. Um, the Pope is like his Britney. And um, anyway, so everyone has lots of kids, so I have lots of cousins, and my mom's side at least. Um, my dad's side can be kind of cool, but um, we don't talk to them anymore, and no one knows why. Um, and... Um, Scientists are still studying. But um, anyways, so I have lots of cousins on my mom's side. And every year for Christmas, uh, just through kind of a general uh, collective desire for the attention of the people around us, uh, we started doing this tradition that's called the performances. Uh, basically, what you need to know is like, basically, they're the oldest seven cousins in my family are referred to as the top seven. Um... <laughs> I'm number three, so kind of safely in the top seven. Um, it's a really clear delineation. There's like 25 of them, but for some reason, the top, the top seven, when you're in the top seven, you're like a celebrity um, at your family. Like people, to quote Mean Girls, just know things about you. Um, and if you're not born into it, you can't get in unless someone dies. There's no social mobility. Um, so, anyways, after the top seven, we always, like, played really fun games with each other that we made up, like chimney ball, roof ball, etc. You get the point. And um, the group of kids after us is, we call them Next Gen. Um, short, of course, for Next Generation. Okay, everyone's out of their chairs screaming. And... Um, so next gen is like now they're around college age and they're like a fun mix of, of boys and girls and like then there's a subgroup within next gen which is the boys of next gen and they call themselves the nasty boys. Um, kind of a trapping of youth to do something like that. And then um, after next gen, the youngest girls are all, the youngest kids are all girls. So uh, they're just referred to as the little girls. And um, so every Christmas, basically what we would start to do is like each kind of faction, the uncles, the aunts, uh, top seven, next gen, and the little girls would break off into different rooms um, and start to perf uh, plan a performance. So that we would then all come into the living room and everyone would do their performances against each other um, as kind of a, a competition thing. Basically, there was no judge and no one to say who won, so it just evolved into everyone shouting um, every year. And top seven, the uncles always went for this kind of real dad humor. Um, the moms always went for sentiment. Like, they um, they do this thing where, like, they often incorporate an eye home. And no one knows if that's against the rules or not, but we let them kind of have it. Um, but their most famous bit was, like, uh, singing um, All I Want for Christmas by You by Mariah Carey and kind of when the beat dropped. They all grabbed their favorite child and danced with them on the dance floor. Um, and I got favorite for my family. Um, I used to be my mom's favorite, um, but now my brother Jack is, and I'm, like, literally in the bottom half. Um, and... Um, then, honestly, Next Gen does, like, some really good work. Um, 
they incorporate elements of humor in this really smart way. And their most notable performance was when they once um, kind of paid, they did a mashup where they kind of paid homage to uh, iconic performances throughout the years. Um, so that was really cool. Top seven is like mashup queens. Like our, we take it really seriously and it's really earnest. Like we'll do a lot of um, our most famous, it was a mashup between uh, Call Me Maybe and Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. <laughs> Um, we also tried a thematic mashup of Lord Royals and We Three Kings. Um, but basically, the infighting gets really fucking crazy, and um, it always ends up in a huge fight between me and my older brother, Terrence. And we've been rivals since we were little. Um, my mom would always do this thing around Christmas time where she would get us the same... Uh, um, she would get us the same present, but like slightly different, like different versions of it. Like he would get a blue one, I would get a red one to keep things fair. But sometimes there wasn't just different color options and someone would just get a slightly worse thing. Um, and famously one year on Christmas, all it was when I was five, he was six, all either of us wanted was the white Power Ranger talking uh, white tiger sword. And that was all we put on our list. And finally we got to, we both had sword shaped boxes at the um, bottom of the tree and he opened his and he got the sword and I opened mine and I got a replica of Jafar's golden cobra staff from Aladdin. <laughs> was wildly disappointed, tried to hypnotize people with it. Um, they hit me with their swords. Um, anyways, um, so that's kind of our deal. We all like attention. We've had to stop doing the performances because they got quote unquote too intense and people don't want to do it anymore. Um, <laughs> but that's like the vibe. And so essentially one time when I was 11 years young, thank you, I... Um, I was sitting at my grandma's uh, house and we were all having dinner and then this family of my cousins came over and um, my cousin Sarah, number four, one year younger than me, um, came in. She was wearing glasses um, and no one in my family had ever had glasses before. Um, and there was a real part of me that was jealous of that. Um, she came in, everyone kept asking her questions, like, how did you know you need glasses? Like, how did you choose those frames? Sarah, you look gorgeous in your glasses. I love how they fit on your face. And I was kind of green with envy over the attention she was getting. And so what I chose to do was, um, in coming days, I kind of pretended I just couldn't see very well. <laughs> Um, I was like, I can't see things that are too close to me or too far away. Like, I d didn't put eggs in one basket. <laughs> um, I was just vaguely bad at seeing. And I started, and my cousin Sarah had, had shared that she started getting these really bad migraines uh, before her big break because she was trying... Uh, <laughs> She was trying too hard to see that it hurt her head. So I started having these very dramatic migraines where I would like fall to the ground. And my mom did know I was lying, but she had to by law take me to the doctor. And um, so she took me to the optometrist and um, it's actually really easy if anyone here wants glasses, he would just like show me stuff and I'd be like, yeah, I, I can't see this. Um, <laughs> And you'd be like, what number is this? And I'd be like, if I knew, uh, I would tell you. Uh, um, and my mom still knew I was lying, but like she was powerless to stop what was happening. And so the doctor was like, yeah, he needs glasses, um, which wasn't an easy job. Uh, um, 
And um, so I got to go with just me and my mom to the mall, which was super rare. And we went to Lens Crafters. And I spent, um, honestly, two hours trying on different lenses, um, looking for one that kind of fit my face shape right. And I started building this new persona for myself. Like, maybe I would be this person who, like, wore these kind of oblong lenses um, and did a middle part. Um, And maybe that would kind of be what saved me. (laughs) And um, so I got the glasses, and my mom was furious at me, but she couldn't say anything. And then I wore them to school the next day, and kind of like no one really noticed. And I wore them to a family dinner at my grandma's house, and it had kind of been done. Um, And so the second week I wore them to school... uh, um, all of a sudden, I lose every single thing in the world, and I just lost them. Um, and no one in my family has ever spoken about it ever again. <laughs> Thank you guys so much. I'm Pat Regan. Pat Regan. Family Ghosts will continue in a moment. This next story is from Gastor Almonte, another of my favorite stand-up comedians. Gastor's also a storyteller, and as you may recall, he was on our show a couple months ago telling a story about his brief tenure as a neighborhood crime fighter back when he was in elementary school. And this week, you're going to hear him tell another story about an unexpectedly effective approach to public safety. I'm from East New York, Brooklyn. Y'all been there before, for real? No doubt. Yeah, I got an eight-year-old son, and uh, the neighborhood's changing a little bit, you know? We, uh, we got white people moving to my neighborhood, like before Starbucks. It's crazy. And, you know, I love y'all. Y'all are cool, but... It's just... I'm having trouble explaining some of the things y'all do to my son... You know, he came home from class, and he was like, yo, dad, you know, snack time in school, the kids was eating beef jerky. What's beef jerky? (laughs) And I challenge you to make that make sense to an eight-year-old Dominican kid. I was like, well, son, you know how, you know, we eat chicken, you know, eggs and fish most of the time. Sometimes I splurge and we have steak. And it's juicy and tender. It tastes great. He's like, yeah, dad, it does. I was like, so white people like to take that. (laughs) And everything you like about it, they take it out. (laughs) And instead of having it for dinner like once a week, they cut it up into little pieces and just tolerate it for a month. (laughs) And he was like, Dad, when the break, I told my friends we're going to Florida, and they were telling me they're going skiing. What's skiing, Dad? (laughs) See, some of y'all are ahead of me on this. I was like, well, son, you know how it's real cold outside, so we try to keep you in to protect you? (laughs) 
White people like to look for the most dangerous days in Mother Nature's schedule to go outside. You know how it's really difficult to walk outside and the streets are flat? They like to go to the highest point and add sticks to their shoes for some reason. And you know how you get real slippery and sometimes you fall down and you try to avoid that? Well, they try to do it on purpose, gracefully. And it's all marketing. If you would just change like little things, like if you would be like, hey, gas store, you want to play a sport where you get to wear Timberland boots and North Face jackets all the time? That's the blackest shit I heard. Yes, I'm interested. You know, sounds great. But I appreciate that he still comes to me for these questions. As you can see, I'm not that great at answering them. But he still trusts my logic. I'm still a source of knowledge for my son. That's beautiful to me. Because that, that's, not, that's not something that's going to last forever. You know, I actually saw my grandfather lose that. You know, lose being the authority figure. I remember when I was seven years old, he moved here from the Dominican Republic. And I was excited. Because I was seven years old. You know, I wanted to do a whole bunch of stupid shit. And here was this old man that also wanted to do stupid shit. <laughs> Like all grandfathers should, right? You know, like I'd be like, yo, yo, grandpa, can we play tag on Atlantic Avenue? It's like, of course. <laughs> can we have peanut chews for dinner today? Why not, Gaston? <laughs> How many firecrackers cannot light at once before we should run away? Let's find out. The world is your oyster, Gaston. He also had these cool sayings. He'd be like, in a battle between a goat and a cow, the winner is the chef. I still don't know when to use that adage. But it seemed important to him, so I hold it there. You know. But I was excited he was here in town, you know. But your grandfather and your grandmother, those are the first people you see that are in charge, and then they stop being in charge. Everyone else, your parents, your teachers, cops, you see them in charge, they're in charge the whole time you're a kid. You know, and it was it was weird to me to see this guy, you know, do stuff and get in trouble for it with his kids. You know, like my cousin Gio, he was 10 years old. He wanted to roll a blade down the stairs of the building. He ain't make it. <laughs> so my uncle, he runs up to my grandfather. He's like, Luciano, you, you can't let the kids roll a blade down the stairs. They're going to get hurt. He broke his arm. And my grandfather was like, well, we know that now. He believed in us, you know? <laughs> it was touching to me, you know? So I always enjoyed, on Sundays, we'd go to my grandmother's house because now my grandfather was there too. 
So, you know, my aunts and my mom would do their hair. My dad and my uncles would sit on the stoop and talk smack. And my grandfather would hang out in the front of the yard and watch me and my cousins, you know, do recklessness on the block. It was great. Three weeks into this routine, you know, there's my uncles and my dad and some of the neighbors on the, on the, on the house, and they complaining about the break-ins. You know, we had three break-ins on my uncle's block. Some people had some stuff stolen. A motorcycle was taken. They riffing and complaining. My grandfather's starting to get frustrated with his kids. Finally, he turns around, and he looks at them dead in the face. He's like, you know what y'all need to do? Y'all need to buy some chickens. You see how quiet you guys are right now? <laughs> you see the confusion you feel? <laughs> you are not alone in that feeling. <laughs> they looked at him stunned. They're like, you know, what are you talking about, chickens? And my grandfather started having a conversation like this was a logical thing to talk about. He's like, why should we get chickens? And my grandfather was like, oh, because chickens don't lie. <laughs> chickens tell the truth. And then he turned around like, yeah, I made my point. <laughs> I've tried my whole life to mimic the confidence that man showed that day. <laughs> to look at a group of 30 to 40 year old homeowners, professionals, hard workers, and tell them, yo, you know what the solution is to your crime wave problem? Poultry. So then, you know, they dismiss my grandfather, like, yeah, whatever, you know, old man's bugging out, and they keep riffing about the situation. My grandfather keeps looking at his play, but finally he gets heated. He calls us all and he's like, kids, I need y'all to play inside the yard. I got to go do something. He walks off, comes back half hour later with a cage with four chickens. <laughs> now, I know that's not that surprising now. Brooklyn has changed a lot. <laughs> I'm sure somewhere near here there's like a hand to farm, free range artisanal chicken place. But this is 1990s East New York, Brooklyn. One block off of the J train on Fulton. My uncle's been here, three, my grandfather's been here three weeks. He doesn't speak a lick of English. Where the fuck do you go? <laughs> to get four chickens. Like, if you sent me out to get chickens now, like, I'm going to come back running just because I'm assuming I committed a crime. <laughs> he comes in proud. He looks at his kids. He's like, I got the chickens. <laughs> Opens up the cage, lets them loose in the backyard. And they start laughing, but they let it rock. He decides to keep doing this. Next three weeks, he gets three, four more chickens at a time. Month in, we got 15 chickens in the backyard. Now, I'm from Brooklyn, as I said. I don't know much about farming. I'm assuming most of y'all don't either. I'm going to let y'all learn something today. I know one thing about chickens now. 
Chickens are incredibly good at doing one particular thing. They're really good, pardon me, they're really good at making more chickens. Six months in, we had like 150 chickens. Like if you got an adjacent house to my grandfather's house, you have chickens. Front yard chickens, backyard chickens, Atlantic Avenue chickens. Like y'all go to Nets games on Atlantic Avenue two miles away, there was chickens. People started complaining there's property damage. You think you get mad when a pigeon shits on your car? Imagine when a chicken does it. Cause chickens don't fly, that means he got on your car. Just to shit on your car. You know, after six months, these people kept, you know, they couldn't hold it no more. They're like, yo, we got to have a meeting. So the whole block gathers in my grandfather's living room. They talk to my dad. They talk to my uncles. They're like, yo, you got to talk to him. My dad starts it off. He's like, listen, Luciano, we're really happy to have you home. I know you miss being back in DR. I get that. So we let you have a couple chickens. <laughs> but this chicken situation is getting out of control right now. We gotta be at 300 chickens at this point, sir. My grandfather looks at them stunned. He's like, I don't want any chickens. You guys were complaining about robberies. I brought the chickens into the house. Nobody on the block's been robbed since. You're welcome. And then he left the room. So again, they just let it rock. <laughs> Year in, you know, we letting these chickens grow. Everybody's okay with it. Security's top notch now. <laughs> Year later, we gotta be at like a thousand chickens at this point. <laughs> Block is flooded with chickens. Have you ever had a drug dealer ring your bell to complain about the chickens? <laughs> My father lived that moment. Yo, listen, sir, we respect you. We respect your father-in-law. But the chickens are making it real hard to keep our business low-key. <laughs> Admittedly, a fair critique. You know. But it was helping, so they kept letting it go. Finally, a few weeks pass. And on a Saturday morning, I wake up in my house and I hear my parents kind of like rumbling, getting ready. It's early, it's like five in the morning. And I sense like that there's a lot of panic and energy. And I walk out on it, what's happening? And I'm like, oh, there was a break in at grandpa's house. We're gonna go over there and make sure everything's okay. And I show up and I see cops around the block. I see the neighbors outside looking and I see a guy getting arrested and put into a car, and I witness what might be my favorite conversation ever. <laughs> police officer and my dad talked, and the police officer said this. He's like, so, you guys brought the chickens here on purpose. 
1,500 chickens. And my dad answered the way that my grandfather had taught him with logic that only makes sense to him. He's like, no, sir, don't be ridiculous. We only bought in three to four chickens at a time. So the cop is like, how'd you get this many chickens then? And he's like, well, I don't know if you know anything about chickens, but they're incredibly good at making more chickens. And then he's like, so walk me through this. How did the chickens help? He's like, well, again, sir, the guy was trying to break into our backyard. He took some stuff. He dropped the runaway. He tripped on the chickens. I don't know if you've ever woken up a chicken before. It makes a loud noise. That gave us time to run outside and call you, and now we here. The cop is like, he's like 6'2", 200 pounds. He tripped on one chicken. Chickens are real short. And my dad's like, you right, sir. You'd think it'd be hard to trip on one chicken. But we had like 1,500 chickens. We got a system going here. Finally, I got to see what's going on. I go inside because I don't see my grandfather. This is his moment. I'm like, yo, grandpa. And I see him sitting in the living room on his throne. And I'm like, grandpa, how'd you know this chicken thing was going to work? And he's like, you know, nobody asked me. You know, when I was 25 years old, I lived in Bonau, this little farming town in the Dominican Republic. I was a sheriff. And the town only had one rich person that lived there. He paid most of the taxes that covered my job. He had a break-in, and he told me that I had to stay in his house if I couldn't solve it until I caught the criminal. I lived three miles away walking. I wasn't going to do that. I'd be away from the kids and my wife. So I just got a whole bunch of chickens. I put them in the hallway, and when the guy tried to break in again, his guards caught him. I figured it worked there, and everybody know about chickens in DR. <laughs> None of y'all know about chickens here. I was like, yeah, that's incredible, Grandpa. He's like, I know, I told you, Gastor. Chickens don't lie. Chickens tell the truth. I got my eight-year-old son now, as I told y'all. A few weeks ago, my two-year-old nephew, Quinn's coming over. And normally, my, my son ignores him. You know, he's a little too young to play with him. But he's offering him a snack. He's trying to keep him calm. And he's like, Quinn, what do you want? You want crackers? You want chips? Oh, I got this new thing called beef jerky. <laughs> my dad told me all about it. And I realized then, my grandfather's goal he didn't care about losing authority. He just wanted to live forever. And he lives forever through us. Thank you. Family Ghosts, 
is hosted, produced, edited, and mixed by me, Sam Dingman. Thanks to this week's storytellers, Pat Regan and Gastor Almonte. Find Pat's podcast, Seek Treatment, wherever you're listening to this. And if you haven't already, watch Hacks on HBO. It is so good. And Pat's episode, episode eight of season one, features some of the best moments in the entire series. You can find more of Gastor's work on the Comedy Central and PBS YouTube channels, and his album, Immigrant Made, is available on 800 Pound Gorilla Records. I will link to all of that in the show notes. Our theme music is by Luis Guerra, and our show art is by Teddy Blanks. Special thanks this week to Will Short and Evan Arnett for mixing work on the live recordings of Pat and Gastor's performances. If you appreciate the work we do here at Family Ghosts, please consider becoming a member of the Kindred Spirits, our community of Patreon supporters. For just $5 a month, Kindred Spirits get access to all of our episodes ad-free, and they also get access to a private show feed featuring bonus episodes that we don't release here in the main feed. We could not do the work we do without the Kindred Spirits. So if you have the means, please consider joining them today at patreon.com slash familyghosts. And if you don't have the means, no worries. Thank you for listening. And please consider supporting the show for free by leaving us a review in Apple Podcasts. It will take 30 seconds of your life, and it will make a huge difference in the life of Family Ghosts. We will be back in two weeks with another episode of Family Ghosts, where every house is haunted.